enjoying the passage of time. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Nick Hutchinson joins the podcast this week, and Nick is the founder of Book Thinkers and the author of the brand new book, Rise of the Readers. And in this conversation, we explore that new book and how to implement and retain the information that you get from books and how books can actively and miraculously change your life. In other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all of their products, see which ones might work best for you and your wellness needs. Then at checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 201 of Something for Everybody. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Nick, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Listen, uh, I believe the right book at the right time can change people's lives, and so I'm excited to see where the conversation goes today. Absolutely, yes. We'll, we'll cover all the meat and bones, all the good stuff. Uh, but before that happens, I have a very important question to ask you, and that is, how are you doing? Like, actually, how are you doing? Dude, I am enjoying the passage of time. That's what I try to optimize for. I just got back from a couple of days in Alaska yesterday, so caught up on some sleep, and uh, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm excited, and uh, I'm happy. I'm full of joy, and uh, you know, we could talk about how I got to this place, how I live in this place sustainably because I haven't always been here, but I'm good, man. How about you? How are you doing? I am doing really well. Uh... Yeah. Recently I've been saying I never, I've never had it so good. And then when I say that people look at me like I'm like, I'm lying to them and I'm like, no, I like, like, that's the truth. <laughs> like, that's the truth. You know? Cause some people always answer that question with like, oh, I'm living the dream. And that's a fucking, that's not real. <laughs> um, until you meet the person who says and actually means that. And then you're sort of thrown off by it and you're like, wait, really? Your life is good. It doesn't mean there doesn't come challenges or obstacles, obviously, as you know, but how we handle those and our response to those things makes everything. And it can, it can bring a fulfilling, you know, meaningful, very joyous life. So yeah, man, on top of it right now. Yeah. Uh, I love, I love your answer. I've been asked a few times recently, Hey, if you could go back and tap your 20 year old self on the shoulder and, and tell him one piece of advice, what would it be? And recently because of the space I'm in as well, I've been answering that question by saying, I'd tell him it's all going to work out just like you want it to. And that, you know, through failure, you'll find opportunity and you'll learn and you'll grow and uh, just be patient because I don't envision a future that's very different than what I experienced today. And you're totally right. Most people, when they say something like living the dream, they don't, they don't mean it. And uh, I'm sure I said that I actually have Viviendo El Sueño, living the dream tattooed on my leg, <laughs> which I got a few years ago and definitely didn't mean it as much as I mean it today. Yeah, it's very interesting how that sort of works out. I think about my 20-year-old self too. Um, I was, you know, living much differently, but at the time I felt like I was doing the right thing. Like it was, I was doing what I wanted to be doing. And so 
it's interesting how different pockets of our life bring about different, you know, perspectives, let's say, you know, and I think that that's really true for you as someone who didn't really enjoy books as a high school kid, really as a college student either. And now they run your life. So that's very interesting. Um, and I know you've read like, you know, probably 500 books at this point. Um, and I think one of them that really touched you was reading about stoicism, which also is something that touched me as well. And you have two tattoos. I know you just mentioned one other one, but you have two tattoos of some stoic phrases that I'd like to talk about, if that's cool with you. One being uh, amor fati and the other one being uh, memento more. Can you can you talk about those, please? Yeah, those are a couple that I highlight on social media and in the book, and I have even more than that. I have like 40 tattoos, and a lot of them are related to stoicism or some type of fun aphorism. So yeah, amor fati translates to the love of one's fate. And it's a Latin phrase. What it means to me is that we have to understand what, what is in our control and what's not in our control. And when something is not in our control, some type of external event, we have to look at those with grace. We have to realize that external events are neutral and it's only our interpretation of that event that leads to positive feelings or negative feelings. And so many of us tend to internalize some type of external event, wish that we had more control over it, and as a result, hurt ourselves. We assign negative feelings to external events that had nothing to do with us. So some type of natural disaster, something that another person says or does, how a social media video makes us feel, like those aren't in our control but we really try to control them. And so I think that this tattoo is a consistent reminder to me uh, you know, to, to reflect, to have more space between an input to my head and my reaction to it, and to run through that filtering process. Was this in my control? If not, it's neutral. In fact, maybe it's even positive. Like Nietzsche the philosopher tried to take that to the next level. Like, can we actually assign positive feelings to things that aren't in our control, even if at the outset they look ugly or bad? So that's one of the tattoos. And then Memento Mori translates to the love. Uh, it translates to essentially we're all going to die. Um, we're all mortal. And that tattoo is right here, sort of right above my heart. And I see it every day when I get out of the shower. And it's a great reminder to prioritize my time. I think that so many of us put things off until tomorrow and end up regretting that we didn't do more with our lives. More of what uniquely fulfilled us, like you kind of talked about fulfillment before. And so this tattoo, it creates a sense of urgency. Uh, it's a beautiful reminder that life is short. So that, that whole YOLO thing, like you only live once, so do something crazy. I think you only live once to do something meaningful. It's the same, you know, it's the other side of the same coin. And uh, serve your future self. Like, make the version of you in a few years proud of what you did today to set that person up for success. And so that's kind of what the Memento Mori tattoo does for me. And, uh, yeah, I love both of them. Yeah. I mean, they go, they go hand in hand so well, right? At first, you're, you're loving what is like exactly what is because we can't fight against reality. This is this is my situation. This is the situation I'm in. Okay. 
but I know that I can, I can love what is Not technically love, you know, you could just have to accept basically, right. You don't have to love every situation, but love what is or accept what is, but now what are the action steps that I can take to maybe have a better next outcome or a next day or next hour or next even minute. And so I think it's important because, you know, every time we fight against reality, we lose, <laughs> you know, so if we can accept it and then understand what's in our sort of domain of competence and then move in that space is really important. And then always having this idea in the back of our head that, yeah, we are going to die. Like everyone you love, everyone you've ever loved or randomly met or saw is going to die. And, you know, there could be a, an approach where you take that where it's like, oh, this is like a black cloud that looms over my head. So I'll just, I won't do anything. But if you really look into it and what that could mean for your life, it's like, well, why not then live the absolute best life I can? You know, read all of the great books that can teach you so many different things. Travel the world like yourself who has experiences because he's traveled the world and has tattoos on your body that signify those great experiences. Like, why not? Like, yeah, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? You have something great. Yeah, no, I, listen, we are cut from the same cloth. If you believe what you just said, that's for sure. And yeah, I couldn't agree with it more. You know, on the subject of death, because I haven't been asked about it much recently, but I love that subject. Um, one of the early podcast guests that I was able to have on my show and talk with is Robert Greene, author mm. of The 48 Laws of Power and so many other great books. And we talked a little bit about that subject, confronting mortality. And it wasn't so long ago that the average person would see a dead body on a weekly basis. And it was just part of society. And now we've kind of pushed the subject of death and mortality to nursing homes and hospitals out of sight, out of mind. And we forget that life is finite. We aren't going to live together forever. And so, yeah, you might as well make the most of it. So yeah, it's a, it's a little reminder. I also have a skull tattoo on my calf and I just, I really try to be present with it. There's a, there's a little poster I have on my wall. It's actually behind my computer. It's my life in weeks. And there's 52 little boxes across horizontally and then vertically. I chose the big one because I'm into biohacking, but it has 100 years going down vertically. Mm. And each week I fill in a little box. It, it comes pre-filled for like however many years you've lived already. And uh, then you fill in a little box every week. And it's another one of those great reminders just to get the most out of life, like really get the most out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. <clears throat> now, I want to I wanna take you back to you're around junior, senior in college, and you, you start to realize that books could have a pr profound impact on your life. Was there a moment? Was there a person? Was there a mentor? Was there one book? Like, what was that? Yeah, so I was going into my senior year, and I accepted an internship uh, for that summer prior to my senior year at a local software company. And my, the director of sales at the company, his name is Kyle. He introduced me to the world of personal development podcasts, so mm -hmm. conversation just like this. And a host would interview a series of guests. The guests would talk about what they've done to become healthy or wealthy or happy, successful, whatever that meant to them. And so many of those people gave credit to the books that they had read, especially early in their development. Again, success is totally relative, but however they became successful, a lot of those people gave credit to some books. So I had about an hour commute to and from that internship that whole summer leading into my senior year. And I listened to a lot of podcasts. And I don't remember one specific moment, 
But I remember coming to the understanding that if I deliberately choose not to read the books that all of these people are giving credit to, then I'm deliberately choosing to live under my potential. And that, that was a strange moment. I think a lot of people face that in some way, shape or form at some point, and they choose to run away from it. But for whatever reason, I ran towards it. And I went to my local Barnes and Noble and I got a bunch of the books that were talked about and I started reading and I was hooked from day one. Um, you know, I could talk about the early books too, but you know, it was thanks to Kyle introducing me to podcasting and podcasting introducing me to books. And it's funny because years ago, I actually got that story wrong. I misremembered it. I thought he introduced the first books that I had read to me, but I called him up as I was writing this book, Rise of the Reader. And I said, hey, do you remember what other books you recommended after Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And he's like, I didn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He's like, I introduced you to podcasts that talked about it. So it's just kind of funny how that can happen to people. But yeah, podcasting into books, man, that's how it happened. At that point in your life, do you feel like you weren't maximizing your potential? Is that why they resonated with you so much? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was... You know, growing up, I was a little bit more of the jock stereotype, less of the academic. And so I floated through high school. I floated through college. I had a lot of really easy classes. I found workarounds for uh, not putting in the effort. And then mm. now, I'm, now I'm getting ready to graduate and realizing that I need to go out that, you know, college is, college is like a little bubble, I think, especially a party college. Like I went to kind of a party college. And so the classes were easy the drinks were accessible and you spend a lot more, like for me, I spent a lot more time in the gym, playing basketball, uh, going out on the weekends and drinking too much and not enough time focused on myself. And so that summer was a turning point where I realized like the, those types of activities, especially in excess can be more harmful than anything. And there's an opportunity cost to the time that you spend damaging your body versus improving your body, you know, like with the drinking example. So yeah, I was definitely living under my potential. And a lot of people around me were putting in a lot more work than I was. And as a result, you know, they had better results. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> School for me was always just a means to an end, uh, you know, because I was an athlete as well. I played baseball. And it was like, okay, you have to get a certain grain point average to be able to play on the field. And so I took my studies as a way to, okay, I have to memorize the material, take the test, and then I can play baseball. And it's so interesting how life develops and you start to have these experiences in your life and you're like, oh, I actually enjoy like sitting down and reading a book and comprehending it and then talking about it with my friends over coffee to see if I actually understood the material. Oh, I can actually make that into a living by having a podcast. Wow. Who knew? Right. And so it's interesting, like different stages of your life, like sort of we've been talking about, but yeah, I, I was never a reader at all either in, in school and mostly afterwards until about, you know, three or four years ago when, you know, I started realizing the power of them, like how much information can I get from this, this person who wrote the book, like, you know, you writing your book spent hours, years, sometimes decades studying this information to distill it into this like 200 pages that you can just take, put into your brain and hopefully go into action, which is sort of the most important part, but incredible stuff. Yeah. Like you, like you're talking about your, 
You're literally uploading new software to your brain or you're downloading software into your brain. You're condensing decades of lived experience and sometimes millions or billions of dollars worth of experiences. And you get all of it for $20. You get all of it for a few hours of time. I mean, I don't know of a better, uh, a better trade-off than that in terms of return on investment. So yeah, I think it's a great way to learn from other people. And and I owe pretty much everything. Like we, like when we kicked off the podcast, enjoying the passage of time, I owe all of my joy to the books that I've read because they've really, they've helped me shape the reality that I do live today. Mm. This might be uh, an absurd question and very hard to answer since you've read so many books, but is there a one to two sentence life philosophy that you could put together based on the information that you've acquired? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, I think if, you know, there, I think it's that like Winston Churchill thing where he, he ended a letter one time and he said, I'm, I'm sorry for the length of this letter. If I had more time, it would have been shorter or something like that. <laughs> I think it takes a long time to simplify a message like that. I, a few things did pop into my mind. I think number one, but I'm stealing, I, I, to create something original, it would take some time. I think your purpose comes from your pain. That's one that, relates to most people. Mm -hmm. So that was written by Evan Carmichael in his book, Built to Serve. And I think so many of us are trying to serve our younger self, especially content creators. When you have a podcast or you write a book, you're trying to serve a younger version of yourself. You're trying to help that person overcome a problem. And so for me, I'm writing this book, Rise of the Reader, to help the version of myself who had just discovered he had this unfulfilled potential but wasted a lot of time reading and implementing inefficiently. And so I'm trying to serve him. And I think that, you know, or you're trying to serve your future children or your children. Um, but yeah, your purpose comes from your pain. Like you want to help your younger self overcome something. And that was the first thing that came to mind. So that's, <laughs> that's how I'll answer the question. Although I stole it a little bit from Evan. Yeah. I resonate with the, that, you know, my, yeah, my life got altered in a, sort of a catastrophic way um, five years ago because of the pain that I went through after losing my sister. And so it's and then it's hard because I like have some words, but like the words seem to don't exactly mesh with what I'm trying to say. Like gratitude comes up, purpose comes up, but not specifically for the actual situation, but from what arose through me trying to figure it out, like trying to figure out why I was so angry and guilt and shame ridden and why I felt some relief and all these things. Okay, now there's a purpose through that. And so I think that is, you know, pain is the greatest indicator for change, right? That's the only reason we do change is because of pain. And so, yeah, for me, that it completely resonates and, you know, is the number one reason why I'm doing anything that I'm doing now. So definitely. Yeah, I love the subject of gratitude. And I'm happy that you brought that up because it's so that that's such an important word and an action for me. One of my favorite quotes is it's not happy people that are grateful, but it's grateful people that are happy. 
And so gratitude is an action. It's a lead indicator and the lag is happiness and fulfillment. And so it's only by practicing gratitude intentionally that the happiness and fulfillment and joy and enjoyment of life comes on the backside of it. And that's from an Indian monk named Gaur Gopaldas. And yeah, I mean, I've been, I have some gratitude tattoos as well. I love to tattoo these types of things. And gratitude as a daily practice has been in, incredible for me and everybody else that, that chooses to take up one of the many gratitude activities that I like to teach. Um, I'll just toss out two real quick for your audience because these are really actionable and simple. Number one, if you work in a company, you own a company, you're part of a small community, um, create a gratitude group chat. For my team at BookThinkers, there's about 10 of us on the team and we use Slack as an internal communication mechanism and we have a, grat a daily gratitude channel. And every day, everybody on the team puts three things that we're grateful for. So not only are you practicing gratitude and then as a result, filtering for opportunities to be grateful, but by consuming other people's gratitude, it just lifts you up, right? Like we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. And so you could do something like that with your family. You could do something like that with friends. It might sound a little goofy up front, but gratitude is really important. And then the second thing, uh, this one's a little bit more unique. On a weekly basis, I film what I call a one-minute gratitude time capsule. And so on Sundays, when I'm also filling in my little My Life in Weeks map, I pull out my phone here, pull out my phone and I record a one minute selfie video, just going through the last week and, and expressing gratitude for the best things that happened. And the, and I upload all of them to a Google drive with the date week one, week two, week three, week four. And at the end of the year, the idea is that in the future, I can go back and consume an entire year's worth of content in less than one hour. So sometimes I'll go back through and I'll watch like random gratitude moments from years in the past, because I've been doing this for a few years now. I haven't condensed it into a year yet, but it's so funny to, to look back and, and see what brought me joy and, and how I've evolved and grown over time. So that's another just super simple thing. It takes one minute a week to film it and a few minutes to upload it and name the file and stuff. But gratitude's everything, man. Wow. I love that. I love that one, one minute video every week. That's incredible. And to be able to look back at it and, yeah, gratitude is, you know, wildly important, right? We want to take life uh, as granted, not for granted. And I think that's really important. And like you mentioned, it's like an action. It's like something you have to actively do. Like, I don't just wake up and like, all right, yeah, I'm grateful for the sun in my life and my partner and this food and this house and the shower and the pillow and the feet that I have to walk on, all these things. Like, and, and and I think another misconception of gratitude is that gratitude doesn't equal uh, complacency. It is more oh, of like sure. contentment, right? You know, because you're, you're a person who is a high achiever and striving for more. But the idea is that gratitude um, grounds you with what you do have while still wanting to be more, not have more necessarily, but be more. And if God forbid everything got stripped away from you except those two or three things that you thought about that morning that you're grateful for, you'd still be okay. And I think that's really where that's important because now you can build a foundational layer of your life that, yeah, you can still strive for these things to be more. But if you never reach that whatever pinnacle, crappy thing, success, whatever, like you're still a person with love 
and compassion for yourself and hopefully food to eat and a place to live and all of these things um, that we need as human beings. Yeah, I, I definitely try to avoid outcome-based uh, like feelings in life. It's, they're all process-based. And so the three values that BookThinkers has as a business, and they're very similar to my personal core values, one is gratitude in everything. Two is relentless improvement in everything. And so like you said, gratitude grounds you and it also make it's like a stable foundation. And then the relentless improvement piece is an opportunity to grow. And uh, number three is service to others. So sort of like a customer first mentality in the business, but also service to others in everything that we do. And in fact, our team, like if you were to think about a business prioritizing three values and ranking them, the three values being personal flexibility, like for each employee, impact, and then income. As a business, we all prioritize personal flexibility because I think that leads to a lot of uh, like joy and fulfillment. I, I don't like the whole nine to five idea. Number two is impact, always over profit. And profit is a result. It's like a lag indicator of those other things. So just like you're talking about, man, like it, you can have gratitude and you can search for progress, but as long as they're both a process and a series of actions, then I think you're okay. You just don't want them to be, you don't want to look at them as an outcome. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, beautiful. Did you, did you see book thinkers ending up where it is right now when you first started it? Like what was it, 2016, 2017? Yeah, definitely not. Uh, the original idea for the business was a website that would categorize my favorite takeaways from books so that if people ask me, what do you think about this book? I could just send them to the, to the website. Um, then we tried to build a mobile app that didn't work, spent a lot of money, failed at that. Then we tried to build another one that didn't work, spent a lot more money, failed at that. We've tried a few other things that didn't work, but uh, the business that we have today, we've got 10 people on the team. We serve over 100 authors a year. It's a growing business. It's totally different. And uh, yeah, I think that's a result of writing my ideas in pencil <laughs> oftentimes so that I don't stick to something even though it's failing. And I'm, I'm open and willing to iterate and take feedback from our customers and change things. And um, you know, I also kind of came to the realization a number of years ago that I am serving readers. I think that's more of what this book and in, in my personal brand as it grows will do. But at the core of the business, I'm serving authors. And so today the services that we offer are all for authors, they're not for readers. And um, you know, at the end of the day, if if I can help an author promote and market their message more effectively and efficiently, then the same outcome happens, which is the right book at the right time ends up in the right hands and it changes the right life. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it's it's totally different, and I endured years of failure, <laughs> failure after failure, after failure after failure before we kind of found what we have today. How did you keep going? You know, how did you keep going? How did you know that this was your mission? Like you you were going to iterate and review and then adjust and pivot, even though you know things didn't work out. You were getting punched in the face. Like how did you know? How did you keep going? How did you do that? Well, I'll give you two answers, one more philosophical and the other a little bit more practical for the audience. So one is that I was connected to a purpose. I, I genuinely know that these books can change lives. And so I had overcome a lot of ego and insecurity related issues in my own life. And I just wanted to help other people change their lives. And even though the business 
in terms of monetization was failing and costing me a lot of money, I could feel the impact through the feedback from my community online, especially on Instagram. People would ask for a book recommendation. I'd make it, they'd follow up three months, six months later and, and tell me about the impact that it had. And so that kept me in the ring, like tied to a purpose. But the second answer I'll give that's a little bit more practical is that that internship that I took going into my senior year of college, I took a full-time job with them right out of school. And I stayed with that full-time job far longer than most entrepreneurs would. In fact, book thinkers had full-time employees before I quit my full-time job. And I did that because I received a piece of advice early in my journey from a guy named Kevin Horsley. He's the author of a book called Unlimited Memory, but he's a really good business guy too. And he said, Nick, I was thinking about jumping ship and going full-time into the business, and it was not properly monetized yet. And he said, don't try to build the parachute on the way down. Build it first and then jump. And what he meant was that, like Michael Gerber says in the E-Myth Revisited, 95% of small businesses fail in the first five years. Why? Well, they run out of money. How do you not run out of money? You keep your full-time job. You know, you have a nine to five and then your side hustles, you're five to nine. And so that's what I did, man. Like I just, I kept it for years longer than I should have. Well, not should have, it worked out. I kept it longer than most people would have for years longer than most people would have. I hired other people and just delegated things while working for somebody else because I believed in the mission and I took his advice seriously. And so I think that's why, you know, I didn't, I didn't jump off and try to build the parachute. Like it was already built. The foundation was strong when I made my transition. Hmm. What lessons would you give an up and coming entrepreneur, you know, trying to build their business from the ground up while also maybe, you know, working or having kids or doing all of these things that um, we have to do as people? Yeah, I would say, uh, number one, if you are working a full-time job while trying to build a side hustle, make sure there's an overlap or at least a skill overlap so that while you're working your full-time job, you're sort of feeding the skill set that you need to build your business. So for me, I was working a full-time sales job and I was always looking to use that experience to improve my ability to communicate, negotiate, uh, close business and then translate that into my side hustle and use the lessons that I was learning. So there was a little bit of overlap. I wasn't doing two completely independent, totally unrelated things. Better use of my time, more leverage. I think the other piece of advice, and it stinks to hear this, is that it takes longer than you think it's going to. <laughs> With everything that book thinkers did that failed, again, which was most things for five, six years, we always built something that we envisioned would be successful, finished it, put it out, and then it didn't have product market fit. And so there are a couple of books, one called The Lean Startup, another called Zero to One, that talk about this idea of an MVP, a minimally viable product. Put something out before it's done. Because you're going to make a lot of assumptions that probably won't turn out true. So rather than make all of those assumptions and have to go back and spend more money to fix things in your product or service, get it out there, collect feedback from real people, from target customers, and then finish it with their feedback. And I wish that I did that sooner. 
you know, I always was a little bit embarrassed to put something out there, whether it was a mobile app or a mastermind group or whatever, a website, uh, before it was done. I didn't want people to look at me and think, is this really what this guy's about? Unfinished products. But if I had done that, it would have saved a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, so yeah, it's going to take a while, but a way to accelerate that process is to put out unfinished products, collect feedback, and then finish the product with the feedback or service. Hmm. Yeah, we have to move past sort of our whatever insecurity need for it being perfect to order just to put that out in the world. And I think, uh, you know, a podcast is a great example for that, right? Because very few people when they start their first episode are like good at having a conversation, can ask the right questions or have a perfect mic or whatever the case may be is like, but if you want to do the thing, whatever the thing is, you got to put it out into the world. And then let the world give you your feedback. But I think it's, it's funny about a podcast is like your first 150 episodes, like nobody cares. No one's listening. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it doesn't matter what, like you're not getting any feedback except maybe from your, like your mom and your partner. Right. But like, it takes a while for that to build a listenership, unless you already have a, a, a pre-existing audience that you're capturing for that podcast. But if you're just someone who like is really into having conversations or wants to learn from great people, like you did with books, but now with a podcast form, like it takes a while, a really a long time before people start to listen and capture. And then it's awesome because then you're 200 episodes in and you actually sort of figured out maybe a little bit how to have a conversation with someone and ask a question and listen and respond and, and create dialogue in that way where people can understand and take away these notes and like put them into their life. And so, yeah, it's always not, I don't, not always is not the right word because that's like too big, but majority of the time it's important to put stuff out in the world before it's quote unquote perfect, like you're saying, and then use that as your tool to iterate, review, adjust, and then execute again. Yeah. There's a quote that I've probably read many times before, but I really only saw it for the first time recently. It says action is the real measure of intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's a quote by Napoleon Hill. And it's only through action that you're going to learn. You know, I have this example in my book, Rise of the Reader. I, t I say, imagine you buy a cookbook on the world's best. Well, actually, here's an exaggerated version of what's in the book. But imagine you buy a cookbook on how to make the world's best chicken parm. And you study it intensely. You look up all the reference materials. You know how to do this thing. You buy all the materials to make the best chicken parm. And then you don't put it into action. You'll never know how it tastes. Like that seems so goofy. But so many of us read books on how to start a podcast. We get everything set up. We buy all the equipment and then we don't ever record an episode. We might mm -hmm. even study how to ask questions, conversation flow, how to communicate more effectively. And then we don't start a podcast. So it's, it's by acting with a little bit of blissful ignorance and then collecting some feedback or just making iterations based on your own observations through action that leads to progress. And so with like with book thinkers and for these people that might want to start a business, I legally registered it on day one, even though we had no monetization scheme or anything like that, because I knew that would make me take a little bit more action and hold me accountable. Like there's a business bank account. I put some money in it. There's a name, there's a domain, there's a logo. We have the social handles. Now we got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more likely to take action in that scenario than just trying to figure out the perfect game plan first. You know what I mean? You got some stake in the game now. 
Yeah, exactly. You need some. Yeah, you got to feel like something's on the line, right? So you can sort of, like The Rock says, you know, throw your back up against the wall and use it as your anchor and try to just move your way forward. And uh, yeah, that's important. Was that, was this idea of like uh, implementing what you read and being able to have some retention skills sort of the catalyst for the reason you wrote the book? It was, yeah. So over the years of growing our community, mostly on Instagram, I've received hundreds of versions of the following statement. Hey, Nick, thank you for the book recommendations. I found something that might change my life. I read it. It's, it's exciting. But like, I'm having a tough time translating that information into real action. I know you're doing it. I see it through the social channels. Can you help me out? Like, what are some of your action taking strategy tips? And I'd always answer those people. But I felt like I was underserving them because a couple of voice notes or maybe like a quick Zoom call or typing something out. Yeah, it was better than not answering them, but it wasn't it wasn't really displaying everything that I was doing behind the scenes to read these books and to take what I learned and implement it. And so I had to figure out what I was doing, I think, as step one. And as I started to observe my own behavior and I started to look back on everything that I've tried over the years, I felt like, yeah, this is a book. I can get this done. And it needs to be delivered that way. And also, that's what my community loves to consume anyway. So rather than try to answer this in a couple of YouTube videos or a course, like why not write a book that talks about how to implement more information from books? And uh, so that's what it took me about three years. Um, and it helped me understand what I was doing with a lot more definition. I could articulate it. I could name the different frameworks and systems and stuff that I use. But uh, yeah, that was the inspiration from it. It was, it felt like a, a big need for my audience. Hmm. Did you find it hard to take the information from your brain that you were sort of doing naturally and, and distill that onto a sheet of paper where people could? like understand that because that to me is like the most beautiful thing that writers do like oh i i can grasp this because you made it understandable and that's unbelievably cool um what was your process with that yeah it was really difficult i think that i think that my process i think that what i i ran into early on was that it was kind of impossible to do it just from my brain to paper so what I started to do was just observe my behaviors. <laughs> so as I was reading these books, I would think, what, what am I doing? And I would write it down and I would try to understand, like, how am I retaining this information? Almost from a third party perspective, you know, I, I, I've been meditating on and off for the last seven or eight years. And sometimes what happens through meditation is you sort of observe yourself from a third party perspective. Like you're watching yourself like you're on a movie screen or on a computer screen or something. And that's what I try to do with my process for reading these books and then taking that information and implementing it. So I think that became a little bit more useful when, it, when I ran into some roadblocks. But yeah, the process was hard, man. Like I have so much more respect and empathy and, and tons of other feelings for authors because it's tough work. Just like you're saying, it's not easy. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it's like I, something I just can't grasp. Like I think about this in like, a, in like a music form. Like I can't do anything music related. And the way that a artist can make me feel when I listen to their song is like 
It's unbelievable, the emotion that comes out. The same way when I read a book. And the only sort of creative medium I have is this podcast. And I'm like, I'm trying to do the same thing. So I have to be very sophisticated with my language. And then I think about having to distill that into 200 words in a book form where basically every age group, like 18 and up, potentially even younger, 14 and up, can understand exactly what I'm saying and then do it in their life. Like incredible stuff, you know? So is, um, is there anything in, well, I don't want you to give away the things in your book because I want people to go buy it, but what, uh, what sort of takeaways would you like to give away here about like, you know, note-taking, implementation, retention skills, things like that? Yeah, I'll share an example. I, the book has dozens of different frameworks and examples like the one that I'm about to share, but I'll share something from the beginning of the process. So let's say you're going to read a book. This is a book that I just got today. It's called Amazon Ads for Authors, Unlock Your, Ad Your Full Advertising Potential. So rather than just reading this blindly, looking for tips for advertising, I like to set an intention for each book that I read. And my intention for the book follows the SMART goal framework, and then I like to add a little bit of extra sauce to it. So for example, rather than just reading this randomly, I'll say, I'd like to find and implement at least two strategies for improving my ability to leverage Amazon ads by the end of next week because I'm putting out a book in November and I want to make the most of that experience, not only for myself, but for every version of my younger self that will be unaware of my book unless I can master Amazon ads. So that's specific. I'm looking to find and implement two strategies. It's measurable, two. It's attainable. It's actionable. It's not like I want a million dollars by next week, and I'm not saying something that I can't actually take action on. It's pretty manageable. It's uh, relevant to my life, obviously, because I have a book coming out, so it's solving a problem or building a skill set that's relevant to me today. It's written down because I'm going to write that intention on the inside cover of the book, which is we could talk about in a second. And it's time-bound. I'm going to do that by the end of next week. And then with that, because like that little bit of extra flavor, I want to make it emotional. You know, too many people are living under their potential. And I know that this book can help close that gap more efficiently than they could do without it. Like I need to get the book into the hands of the right person, which gets me motivated to read this. Now, when I write that intention on the inside cover of the book, I'm going to review it each and every time I read a few more pages so that my brain's natural filtering process, my RAS, reticular activating system, can look for those two strategies that I can find and implement to leverage Amazon ads more efficiently. Now, by the end of the book, I might have like 20 or 30 actions that I could take. And so what I like to do is I like to rewrite them and then look at that list and say, what 20% of these actions can lead to 80% of the change that I'm looking for? So I like to only take action on the highest leveraged information that's specifically related to my intention for the book. Otherwise, you know, I, I run into people all the time and I say, hey, what are you reading? And they'll tell me and I say, why? What do you mean, why? Why are you reading the book that you're reading? You've got to have an intention and you've got to be able to articulate it to yourself, never mind other people, in order to get the most from the book. So that's one of the things that I do each and every time I read a nonfiction, personal development, self-help business style book because you have to be specific with what you're looking to get out of the books in order to maximize the outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true because a lot of people sort of read and listen to podcasts 
because they're just like you know mentally masturbating it's like what what do you like yeah it's great to consume the best practices that's very important right you want to listen to people who know what they're talking about who are credible and who are experts in their domain that's probably step one right but just doing that is not making your life any better yeah now you can probably go and have a coffee with your friend and explain to him what you know andrew huberman talked about on his podcast right but are you doing that morning routine are you getting morning sunlight are you thinking about your circadian rhythms like are you actually listening and learning from that thing or you're just what mentally masturbating and so i think that's an that's an incredible tool uh to utilize for anyone who's trying to actually retain and implement the information that they're, they're thinking about consuming. Yeah. And if there's one author that, or if there's one person out there who I wish would write a book so I could interview him for my podcast, it's Andrew Huberman. I love that guy. <laughs> right. What a legend. What a legend. Just yeah, someone we really have a voice is. we absolutely need, you know, saying very scientific things. And he seems to be very like kind and warm, uh, and empathetic. He also is a big tattoo guy like yourself. So we kindred spirits over there. Yeah, he is. He never shows them. I try to show him, but yeah. <laughs> love, um, love Huberman. Yeah, man. He's awesome. All right. Uh, Nick, I got one more question to ask you if that's cool. Hit me. And I know, I know you're a fan of Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week. So maybe since you've probably listened to his podcast, you've heard this question before, but I think it'd be really cool if you answered it. So shout out to Tim Ferriss, my favorite podcaster. If Me you too. were going to put up a billboard anywhere and millions of people were going to see that billboard, what would you put on it? I'd put a Tim Ferriss quote that yeah. says, reality is negotiable, which is something I also have tattooed. So we talked a little bit about reality earlier when we were talking about amorphity. Like you can't change it. So you might as well accept it, if not love it, which I think is true. But just a different perspective on the same thing. Reality is negotiable. You can design a future, which I think is what Tim is really talking about. You can design a future version of your reality that is uniquely fulfilling to you. So from that perspective, reality is negotiable. You don't have to subscribe to society's expectations of what life is supposed to look like. You know, one of my favorite books is The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. And the number one, uh, so backstory for everybody listening, Bronnie Ware was an end of life palliative care nurse. So she'd spend the last month, maybe a couple of months with somebody before they passed away, taking care of them. And she would spend a lot of time in conversation with those people. And she realized that most people live with a lot of regret. And the number one regret is that people try to live a life based on other people's expectations of them instead of their own. Right. So when I think of Tim Ferriss's quote, reality is negotiable, I think of designing something that is uniquely fulfilling to you, not based on other people's expectations, but based on what gets you fueled up and gets you out of bed. Not a nine to five job with a big company on a nice business card where you hate the job, but you love the pay. Like that's not fulfilling, but designing something that does fulfill you is fulfilling and creates more joy helps you enjoy the passage of time. So I know I gave a lot of context for why I would choose a Tim Ferriss quote for the Tim Ferriss question, but I love that, man. Like reality is negotiable, just three big words. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's basically saying that you can be the architect of your own life. Like yes. through your daily choices, actions, through responsibility, like you can 
create the life that is ultimately authentically you with you know expressed however you want to put it you know with the divine or whatever you believe to be true like that's it right there and i think you know that's amazing if more people could see that quote on a billboard and then you know start taking sort of the daily actions and choices to organize their life in the way that they want like where they wake up and when someone asks them the question how are you they actually can say live in the dream and you know and mean it viviendo or, el sueño yep. that's right so <laughs> it's beautiful um so your book uh rise of the readers comes out november 1st right yes perfect that'll that'll be around the time this episode's dropped so people should go get it go check it out go check out book thinkers as well um anywhere else that uh a listener should head to well i'll I'll throw this out there for your audience uh you mentioned instagram book thinkers if anybody wants a personalized book recommendation from me it's one of my favorite things to do so shoot me a dm on instagram tell me about a problem that you're facing or a skill that you'd like to develop and i'll make a book recommendation sometimes that involves a few back and forth like kind of follow-up questions so i make sure i'm recommending something that'll help solve your problem or improve your skill set uh, but it's one of my favorite things to do and i'll even follow up three months later six months later check in with you see if you've read the book so i wanted to throw that out there but you hit the nail on the head bookthinkers.com uh, or bookthinkers on instagram those are the places to go that's awesome. That sounds like an absolutely fucking cool deal. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, d listen, uh, impact, man. Like, I'm definitely motivated by it. I want to be of service to other people. And that's kind of one of the fastest ways that I can do it. Yeah. Well, thank you for the time. Thank you for your energy. And uh, thank you for your service to, to the world. I appreciate you. Yeah. And thank you for hosting a cool show and being a cool person and asking good questions and being of service to your audience as well. I'm I'm sure that uh, anybody that's still listening right now has a lot of respect for you and, and you've improved their lives too. So sometimes impact is only felt through feedback. Like you kind of wonder, is this having the impact that I want it to? But, you know, just even this conversation that we've had today, I just wanted to say thank you for, uh, for what you do and give you a little bit of feedback, which is good. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, man. See you guys until next time. Thank you for tuning in to that episode. What idea resonated with you most deeply? What idea stood out to you most heavily that you could introduce in your life today? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all of the tiers, and see which one might work best for you. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.